what you're about to hear is unsupervised. Hey everybody, welcome to Stanley Cup of Chowder's Unsupervised Podcast. You're here for episode three. Uh, my name is Adam Denhard, hosting this week, and we are joined today by, as usual, our friend and fellow writer, Colin Beswick. Colin, how you been? How's the weekend? Yeah, it's pretty good. No complaints here. How you doing? I'm doing all right. I think I'm more or less recovered from the uh, the hangover from yesterday. Uh, the hockey hangover, anyway, as uh, unfortunate as that was. Uh, we're also joined by fellow Adam and fellow hockey enthusiast Adam Selvig from Pension Plan of Puppets uh, just to talk through the game and series with us. Adam, how are you doing? I'm all right. I'm all right. It's been uh, quite, a, quite a week and a half so far, but uh, yeah, it's been okay. <laughs> well, we're glad to have you on with us um, and... Why don't we get right in it? So I think um, All right. we're trying to get a little, a little overarching idea of the series that we've had so far. Um, Adam, why don't you lead us off? How do you think that the series is going uh, for for either team? Really, how how you think it's how it's played out? Um, I think I think it's like just looking at it top level. I think your face been going well for Boston. Um, you know, everything seems to be going from my view anyway I, you know you guys are watching the Bruins differently but from what I see everything's pretty much going their way they're getting a lot of uh, power play time this uh, this series and it seems to be as soon as it seems to be as soon as the Bruins score a goal everything starts going their way too you know I think like game six Leafs are up 2 nothing. it's going really great and Boston scores and it's just the, the feeling I've been watching with has just sunk as soon as Boston scores, it's like, oh, here we go. It's done. But, um, you know, I, I think it's it's been an interesting series to watch, if not a more stressful series to watch than we would have seen against, I say, Tampa. Now, do you say that because the, the friends that you're watching to still have 2013 fresh in their minds? I try not to go back to it too often, but, <laughs> I mean, it's I can only imagine how much it might sting. Well, I think no, I, I not in game one, not really. But as the series has gone on, I think it's just been, oh, okay, now Boston's in this game. No, now they're here. You know, what was it game four, game five when they scored thirty seconds in, and that was it. It was Boston's game. So I think there's just that worry that as soon as they score, the, the everything shifts. It's now Boston's game. So I think that's I more the worry than revisiting past losses well that's fair and you know which i've been trying to put it out of my mind like i said because you can't dwell on it it's a whole new playoffs and it, clearly it's been a totally you know a, a totally balanced series over the course of it i mean you said that it's been even you know and then you see it start to go boston's way well you know on the other side of it especially watching you know uh, saturday night's game that it's been a bit of the tilt in the other direction where no matter how hard Boston pushed, they just couldn't make up the difference, at least that game. Uh, Colin, how do you feel like things are going so far? Sort of been a tale of two halves, so to speak. The first two games, obviously, uh, I think, you know, they went Boston's way. But even as they were happening, I sort of had the thought in my head, like, this series is far from over. Um, 
Toronto is just too good of a team to have expected the Bruins to continue outscoring them, you know, by that margin. And I think, frankly, even with some of the lopsided scores we've seen at, you know, five on five, the teams have been pretty closely matched um, each night they've played. So um, I think we're in for a longer series than a lot of Bruins fans thought at first. And if you take out the, you know, the home team, rooting for the home team aspect, it's been some pretty fantastic hockey across the board. So it's been fun to watch. Yeah, it's for me too. Again, it's it's been an interesting series, but from you know, you tried to leave it out, and I'll I'll put us back in that frame of mind that it's as, from the fan side of things. You had a little bit more of an expectation from Boston to take control, and now that we're going into Game Six, I mean, it's been a little bit of a, a downer to see, you know, the, one of the first times in the last several months where Boston wasn't able to to pick up the slack. And I don't know if, um, if either, either you guys saw this, but, uh, you know, it's, it's been as polar opposites for each change in the flow of the series, you know, coming into game six, I really thought that Boston would have had some strong momentum, but they didn't start off so hot. Um, and I thought that earlier games in the series they were you know had some jump to get the game going like like adam mentioned getting an early goal in in one of the games and being able to control play it it looked like toronto had the benefit of it and not just from having the chance to counter but that they really had their legs under them at home and and adam i don't know if if you saw some of this but was there any additional concern of you know taking uh, having to to play two games back to back and and not being able to come to Boston energize a couple losses just start off and you start worrying you start worrying about getting stuck in that mindset you know it's like Boston scores Boston scores again and it's like okay well let's just try and play catch up and and I think I think we've seen some of that but um, this has just been more of a it's been a very emotionally confusing series for me you know, whereas I just don't know what to do with any of it and to to the same degree for for us too I think having to watch Toronto take control of some games gave gave me personally at least a, a bit of concern about you know I, I had originally thought this game was going to go five maybe six and it you know it didn't go that way it's been a, a back and forth the last couple of games and i think it's really tightening up for for the next game um colin was there anything that that worried you about boston's play or or that was you know giving you a bit of a nervous racket for how toronto was doing so there's two main culprits i'd say the first is you know the lack of finish from the top two lines for boston <clears throat> last night or i should say in in game five, the only point that the Bruins' top two lines had was an assist from Jake DeBrusque. And I know that you can't expect your star players to score every single night, but, um, you know, they could have used more from the top two lines, especially the second line, I thought, because Bergeron's line was certainly driving possession. I think he ended up with 18 total shots, which is insane, but, you know, just wasn't uh, finishing. But the bigger of the two is that the Bruins came out sort of flat in game five with a chance to, you know, the, to put the game out of uh, out of Toronto's reach. 
early on and instead they let up two goals in pretty short order and just looked flat-footed and really the, the second point was that the Bruins came out a little flat-footed in game five with a chance to really put the game out of reach for Toronto uh, instead of you know really driving the possession and, and really controlling the pace of the game they had a, a bit of a slow start they let up two goals pretty quickly and it was an uphill battle right from the start and I know it's been a long season and there's all sorts of things you can say but it would have been great if the Bruins were able to have a stronger start in a game where they could have clinched and moved on to the next round yeah and to Toronto's credit you know that wasn't uh that wasn't the beginning of the game that I was expecting uh and you know what what gave us optimism to start the second period was, you know, that Boston's been in that situation before and, you know, you feel maybe not a little more comfortable, but at least a little more relaxed about, you know, they can get a couple of goals here. Let's see if they can get back in this game, but having the, you know, the second period end with a decent enough of a gap that it's, you know, a little bit of a challenge to get, get that comeback going. Uh, now Boston was able to get one late in the second to to even it, but I didn't think that goal was coming. I was a little surprised, and so I think that's what I'm taking into Game Six. Is okay, you know they're on the road again. They've won on the road once. Each team has obviously, but um, to be able to take that energy into you know right onto the plane, get that mindset of all right, the boys are on the road. We got to go home with a win. That's what's given me. You know, a little. It's going to make me sleep a little bit better tonight, getting ready for Game Six. Uh, what about you, Colin? What do you think? Yeah, I, I, you know, like I said, there's been sort of a couple things to to cause a little bit of concern, but I think I fall more on the, the optimistic side of things. Um, you know, I don't expect Tuukka Rask to even get pulled in in back-to-back games, and like I mentioned, with you know, the first line and Patrice Bergeron landing, you know, 18 shots on goal. It's not that they're playing poorly by any stretch of the imagination. They are getting plenty of um, good looks. You know, Freddie Anderson has done a great job in the last two games, really keeping his team in it. Um, but eventually sort of, you know, water finds its mark. And I expect the first line, if not the second line, is going to sort of break through. So definitely leaning more optimistic. And Adam, how do you think that Toronto's going to be able to counter in game six? Do you think they'll be able to – well, we can save the predictions maybe for a little bit later in the podcast, but uh, what do you think Toronto's been doing really well so far? I think the best thing they did uh, in this series was the lineups in game six – or five, um, you know, splitting up all the, the scoring threats, right? Matthews on one line, Kadri on another, then JVR on another, and then Nylander on what you could call the fourth line with – uh, Plekanec's and uh, Janssen. And I think that's probably been one of the, the better things they've done, which is, you know, spread it out. You have all this talent. Don't all mash it up in together into one line to be contained. And I think that worked out well for the Leafs going up, you know, scoring four goals and winning the game in game five. And that's the best thing they've done. And honestly, it sounds bad, but <laughs> the best thing was Leo Komarov not being able to play and you know, them being forced to put Johnson in the lineup with Kapanen. And, you know, and I think I think they've just found combinations that are working and they've found ways to get the players they need on the ice. And they did that in game five. 
you know, in Boston. Now they're doing it at home where they can pick and choose their matchups if they want. So I think they're coming into a stride now lineup wise. And I think that's probably the better, the best thing that they've done. Yeah, that that lineup swap. I don't know why I was so surprised by it because it is, you know, Mike Babcock. After all, he's gonna, you know, roll the dice as as he knows how to do. And it's, you know, it was a little bit surprising. But do you think somebody like Janssen should have been in the lineup? I have to say that coming from you know not being able to follow the national uh, national games as closely as I would like to, I don't know a lot about his game so um you say that fortunately Kadri was to uh, sorry fortunately Komarov was out of the lineup but do you think Janssen should have been there uh going into this season I wasn't uh one of the ones there were some people that said he should be in there but I thought you know we would need what Leo Komarov can usually bring to the games you know and try and you know put him on the ice with Marshawn and and keep him out there you know in 2013 he had uh you know he played well and you know he's been last year the year before he had a really high offensive season and that's that hasn't been really continuing but I thought he brought something that we needed um but now I'm you know more in favor of Johnson being in the lineup than Komarov uh, which would be a sad way for him to end his, you know, Maple Leafs career, which is the only team he wanted to play for in the NHL. But, um, you know, it, I guess it's at the, we're at the point where, you know, well, whatever we need to win, if we can get past the Bruins with Janssen over Komarov, great, keep it going. And then plug him back in if Janssen's not working against Tampa in the next round. Or, but so, you know, I think that's been... I think that's been a good addition, and I will admit I wasn't one who thought he should be in the lineup to start. Yeah, and and from our side too, I I think that there's been a couple of bright spots in the youth on our lineup, so it you know it, it never hurts to give somebody a chance if you think that they're mm-hmm. they're rolling when it goes. Um, uh, for me, Jake DeBrusque has played extremely well, though he's been pretty limited in his minutes, um, and. You know, other than a couple of minutes of of lulls for Tuka Rask, I thought he's played pretty well too. So, those are those are my personal reasons to be optimistic about the next game up. Um, just because I think that Boston has had some strength in their core um, and you know a bit of energy from, like I said, folks like DeBrusque and and seeing Tuka be a bit more revived. Um, though I think he struggled. Early in game, uh, in game five, it wasn't entirely his fault. I think there were a couple of situations where um, Krug and Miller got stuck together, and, and uh, Coach Cassidy for Boston was really adamant about splitting them up again just to balance their lines out. Like you said, for offense on Toronto, I think it hurt Boston a little bit on defense um, earlier in the series trying to keep those two together. So as much as I wanted to see it, I, I went on on record as thinking it would be a great idea i'm i'm glad that bruce is the one running the team because if i had stuck with it might not have gone so well um so happens to the best of us i picked uh um los angeles over the golden knights so we've all uh on on the last (laughs) podcast so well i did pick it to go the go the go the full limit for for seven games i think so (laughs) i will uh i will bite my tongue there as with sharks and ducks i thought that was going to be a series and I didn't even realize it was over until we started getting ready for this. So, uh, like I said, wish I could watch national a little bit more closely, unfortunately. So blind predictions. It was, um, 
we did a so coming back to lineup changes you know um, with adam talking about toronto's offense getting shuffled around a bit and uh, i just mentioned the defense moving around we had a couple of people come in and out of the lineup and you know uh, I'll let you lead us off, Adam, since we know that uh, Nazem Kadri's first game back was game five. Um, I thought that that was going to be a big risk factor, and it ended up, you know, he was energizing for Toronto, I thought, but he wasn't as uh, as big of a liability. Obviously, he's was playing a little more control. Do you think he really provided a lot to the lineup? Do you think they were kind of ready to, to play without him and – just managed to plug him back in where he would fit. No, I, I think it hurt them losing him just because their center depth isn't, you know, they have a lot of centers. Like, well, they have five centers up anyway. Um, but, you know, I think, it, I think it did hurt them. Like we have Dominic Moore who sat in the press box when we were down at center and they put Marlowe at center. So clearly I think they, Moore's done. You know, I, I think they consider more being done as a player for them, and he's not going to get in the lineup. So, not having Kadri in center and moving, you know, who they've been playing as a winger to center hurt them. And, you know, even though he wasn't as, you know, offensively, you know, five, I, I think it helped having him back you know, to, to play with his guys and, you know, be there. So, with Kadri is much better than without Kadri. And, um, you know, if he, it wasn't a huge return, but it, it must have helped something. I mean, they won, right? So I'm always looking for the easy answers about, you know, what happened and then, you know, correlation and causation. So <laughs> I'm, I'm fine with Kadri being back. I think it's going to be a, a real help in game six and seven. Yeah, I thought um, Kadri looked pretty good for Toronto myself. Won, some few, won a few key face-offs, you know. I thought he looked good. I do have to ask just because it's something that I think everyone here in Boston has been dealing with. What is the sort of the Toronto perspective on Nazim Kadri? I ask because everyone who covers the Bruins is well aware of, you know, what type of player Marchand is. There's really no hiding that he is a player with a pretty checkered history. But I, I'm curious, what is, at least with the media, what is the perception of, of Cadre in the greater Toronto area? Um, I think it's the same thing. Everyone knows what kind of player he is. Um, but he's on our team, right? So it's, it's a little bit more acceptable. <laughs> um, but, you know, I, th- I think the perception of Cadre has changed over the the past couple of seasons, you know, with the new coach with Babcock coming in and using him more in a, uh, a role that suits him better. Um, you know, having a great year offensively this year, I think he's viewed as an integral part of the team just because of, you know, um, his ability to get under people's skin, you know, he, and his uh, ability to work against top lines. Uh, like when we play the Oilers, he's really good at, handling Connor McDavid as much as someone can. And, you know, he's also good at being the number two center on the team now, you know, playing with more scoring wingers than he used to. And, and he's adapted to that. And, you know, we, we know he's a little reckless and that's been, you know, he can let his emotions overtake him. And that's been something we've been seeing in him since he was playing in the OHL. Uh, my wife always has a favorite story of when a call didn't go his way. So he threw his stick and it hit the glass right next to her head. And she hasn't liked him since then, <laughs> but um, you know that, that. But that's you know just been the kind of player he has, and that's been going down. 
you know, that's been, you know, less, but it's still creeping out and it's just something we kind of accept about him. And so the sort of the impetus behind the question is like any playoff series, there's lots of, uh, I'll call it bickering between the fan bases and mm-hmm. my Twitter mentions are certainly no, no exception to that rule with plenty of fans from Toronto doing the, you know, the whole butt Marchand, you have Marchand on your team yeah. sort of deal. And like I said, if, if there's a Boston media member who's, who's coming out and saying Marchand's not, uh, you know, a dirty player, I have yet to meet him. But I was wondering, yeah. you know, in the media world in Toronto, if he was thought that way, because I actually wrote an article on Stay on the Cup of Chowder about how through the same amount of career games played, Kadri has actually been suspended more and for more games than Brad Marchand had at that point in his career. And it was just, you know, it was an interesting sort of look at it. Everyone knows Marchand is arguably the dirtiest player in the league, and he certainly has uh, has earned his reputation. But I just, it, you don't seem to hear that sort of conversation around Kadri, whether it's here in Boston or from a national perspective. And so I just, I find that interesting because he's certainly on his way, at least to uh, to argue, arguably being as bad as Brad Marchand. So it's just interesting to get a, a different perspective on it. Mm. Yeah, um, you know, honestly, I, that's a good point because that's really not something I ever think about Kadri is until he does something that warrants a reaction from everyone else, be it this year hitting Wingles or last year uh, clipping a Vetchkin. And honestly, every other game of the year, I never honestly think about Kadri that way, and we don't hear about it. Um, I, th- I don't think it's purposely not talked about. I think it's just... I think there's just been a lot of just not talking about Kadri going on unless it's, you know, something really big. He's he's kind of more of a a player that's more discussed amongst fans than in the media. Like, he's not there. He's now moved to the background with Austin Matthews and Nylander and Marner. And when he... And before they came along, he wasn't used as in as big a role as um, he is now. So he was kind of uh, just seen as someone who's plugging along and not really going to be an impact player for the team uh, by, you know, the, the major writers. So I think he's escaped that talk just because he's never been as big a name on a good team either, right? There's, the Maple Leafs haven't really been a team, honestly, worth talking about for a long time, no, even though, you know, they'll constantly flood at least Canadian national media, no matter what they do. <laughs> um, but I think, I think that helped him escape a big um, reputation like Marshawn has yeah. just because he hasn't been in the spotlight as much. And that may change going forward. Well, that's yeah. an interesting perspective on it too, because you think about Kadri being, you know, you would think that as a former seventh overall pick that he's going to draw some attention, but having been drafted in that real, you know, what was sort of the beginning of another downturn for Toronto was, uh, was that, you know, leading into the, late 2000s and, and 2010, 2011, you know, he, I, I think it's interesting that you say that he escaped a lot of that criticism, just criticism from having Toronto be in that position and how visible Marshand was just in his first, you know, year in the, in 
on the National League roster for long stre- stretches was was 2011. You know, he's in that series against Vancouver. He's you know vilifying the Sedins and and riling up pretty much everybody on their team, and that became his reputation just because. I mean, he sustained it. Don't get me wrong. I don't think that was the only reason why he would be seen that way. But Marshand was, was, you know, on full display when no other hockey was going on. And so that's definitely something that's going to stick with him for a long time. Yeah, and I, um, yeah. I have a theory on it, too. And, and part of it is just that Marshand has had a longer runway. He's played 100-plus yeah, more definitely. games than Kadri has. And for all we know, Kadri may never be suspended again. He may you know, play clean. And that's a huge part of it. Marchand has a longer history, you know, and to Adam's point, he's been in some high profile, you know, games and series. But I think the other part of it too, objectively, is that with Marchand, it's almost an every night thing that he's, you know, he's so good at being an agitator that he gets under the skin of just about every fan base that watches him play against their team. Whereas with Kadri, he certainly has that element to his game. But for him, every one of his suspensions has been a hit to the head. He sort of has an MO when it comes to his stuff. And I think as scary and as dangerous as those incidents have been, they've been separated and it's been one here, one a season later, so on and so forth with Marshan. At least to me, because we watch every game, it's like you're wondering every night, is he going to do something dangerous or, or dirty or whatever? But I just, I had to ask, because it's something that, you know, my mentions have been flooded with the but Marchand, but Marchand mm. argument. It's, it's always good to get a, a different perspective on it, for sure. Yeah, uh, and I wasn't worried about the but Marchand, because last year it was going after Capitans, yeah, well, Tom Wilson. So that's always going to happen. <laughs> if you criticize one player, everyone's going to pick one guy in your team. So that's, that's sure. Fine. Yeah, I wonder how that role is going to evolve because, as you know, we don't have any major league enforcers in the league now. It's got to be somebody like Marshawn, like Kadri, you know, like Wilson, like you said, Adam, that draws the attention or at least distracts play from where a hockey player should be focusing, which is on possession and, and scoring goals. So uh, I want to bring it back to Kadri just for one more point is that I, something that surprised me about his return in uh, Saturday night's game is how, as someone who is, you know, lauded as a decent two-way forward, how little of an effect, I guess more of an indictment on Toronto as a whole, but how little of an effect that he was able to have on Boston's offense, because this was one of the first or one of the few games in the series where for long stretches, Boston was able to control the puck. And I don't know if that was just a, you know, a, a mandate from Mike Babcock to say, all right, lean forward, let them play with it. And we'll try and counter and score those goals. But um, I think that, where we saw a huge improvement on the other side of the ice was the return of Patrice Bergeron. And I think having that contrast of, okay, well, yes, Kadri came back and there's that X factor of who's going to, you know, who's he going to piss off next or, or who might get hit. Um, it was on the Boston side of the ice where they were able to control the puck for long stretches and unfortunately couldn't, or unfortunately for us anyways, Adam, I know you might feel differently, but um, being able to control the puck for stretches and seemingly control the end of the game. 
Um, did you, from the other side of the rink, see any concern with that? I mean, it, Bergeron is an elite center, but it seemed like there were, Toronto was pretty well able to keep that line to the outside and, and limiting their quality chances. Well, from what I saw in Game Five, I, I I thought they did they did that as well. I will admit, um, when it started getting airy, I did stop watching for a bit just mm-hmm. to um, just just to not be as stressed out. Like my my oldest son is um, you know a Leafs fan as well, and, and he likes the playoffs because his excuse to stay up later. But even even he was like, I can't watch this and put himself to bed <laughs> just because it was so nerve wracking. So. You know, I, I switched it off for a bit and came back. It's like, oh, there's still... <laughs> so I, I can't give too much insight to the end of that game um, just because I was too scared to watch. But, um, you know, I, I, th- I think what you basically said is true. Is like what I did see, it was a bigger impact with Bergeron back than Kadri. But I think that's just because Toronto was um, more spread out. And um, I, I think they were just trying to keep everything apart so his chance to have an impact was more limited than say your top your number one center coming back and colin what do you think um do you think bergeron had enough of an impact maybe you were able to catch a bit more of the game i was admittedly in and out too but i uh i did see you know towards the end of the game where they started double shifting that first line that you know having been out with what was, must have been um some kind of serious injury where he had to miss a game. I didn't see Bergeron really lacking in any respect. Maybe, if anything, I saw him waiting in his spots, but that doesn't really indicate, you know, a lower body injury for, for me. Um, or sorry, it doesn't indicate an upper body. You'd think if he was slowing down, it was a lower body. So I, I just wasn't sure why he might have sat. Yeah, it, it seems like a sort of a mystery injury, but I didn't... I didn't notice anything either. I mean, he was zipping around the ice. There was no issue with the skating. You know, we didn't shy away from contact. He even got hit, you know, pretty good a few times and seemed no worse for wear. Um, it was one of those games where, you know, I didn't think he played bad by any stretch of the imagination, you know, but I also didn't think it was, you know, his best game he's had. But it's always interesting because I, I generally go and I look at the stats um, during and after the games as well. as You know, I'm always trying to supplement, you know, the eye test with – you know, what the numbers are actually saying. And like I said, one of the things I saw is he had like 18, you know, shots total, not just on goal, but, you know, he was certainly driving play, you know, he had good uh, possession numbers. It's just one of those things where, you know, Marshan and, and Pasternak, who have been the primary scorers, you know, weren't able to score. So, you know, I, I it certainly could continue for a couple more games, but it's hard to imagine the best line in hockey is going to continue to get shut down. And I think the interesting to note is thing to note is that it's not that Toronto's defense, um, in particular, is shutting them down because they're getting a ton of of good scoring chances. Um, it, it's partially that they're just missing on open shots and that, you know, Frederick Anderson has had two pretty strong games in, in the last two games. So, you know, I thought he looked good. Yeah. Frederick Anderson has been playing very well. Um, what I, what worries me about going into game six, I think is, you know, what we, what I saw a lot of in game five was where we didn't have the, 
the Bruins didn't have the opportunity to, you know, get some of those bounces. You know, there was a deflection that went wide. There was a, a centering pass that just missed. And, you know, those, those near scoring chances start to pile up and get in the back of the, of a player's mind. You know, if, if Pasternak doesn't score, you can see him slamming a stick around and, and generally, genuinely getting frustrated and how he's playing. And, uh, a bit of a concern for me going into game six is, you know, if those players who are the supposed to be the big game and, and relied upon for points are, out of focus that the Bruins would struggle. I think they will be. That's that's my thought on how game six is going to go. I think the Bruins are going to be on their game. Um, and Adam, I don't know if you feel differently about Toronto, but do you see any other um, any other causes for concern on your side going into game six, or do you think that it's going to be a, a real tight game? I think it's going to be closer to game five than any other game this series. Um, but I, 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 yeah, the worry is that the emotions are, are taking their toll or, or at least taking over for a lot of these players. You know, I think this is more of an emotional series, more of a, a series that they're taking personally than, you know, the other opponents we could have had in the first round. And while that, can be fun to watch it can also be terrifying because if you know they're letting their emotions get the better of them then they're not playing um as smartly as intelligently as they could um you know so i think that's that's a worry um that's a good point um i think my biggest worry is babcock tinkering with the lineup again um, I think we found a really good way to set it up in game five. And, and I think it's just worrisome that to go back to the well and tinker with it and, you know, slip Leo in and take Johnson out or take Kapanen out, um, you know, or as every, as the big self panic we had uh, amongst Leafs Twitter today was William Nylander was skating with the scratches um, today. Well, and everyone's like, well, is he, is he not playing then? It's like, oh gosh, no, maybe he just wants to practice, you know, but I can't see them making an example of Nylander in game six. Well, in your defense too, it's something that I think popped up in, on the Boston side of things today too, where Rick Nash was skating with the scratches. So mm. uh, granted, I think he's been a lot less of a factor in the series than we might've hoped, uh, but genuine concern from wondering whether or not he's going to suit up. Um, uh, I, I don't see any reason why he wouldn't, but um, yeah. yeah, it's, it's interesting too, where you see like maybe those are the players that just needed to, you know, practice their accuracy a little bit more today or, you know, to get themselves in that frame of mind. Yeah. Maybe they're just hard workers, you know, that, that could be it too. But, you know, we, we all like to, to worry and, and panic ourselves on days where there's is no game and it's, you know, I, I think this series is taking a toll on the fans too. <laughs> you know, um, the more than say Boston playing playing Tampa. You know, I, I think it's 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 an all around more stressful series than we ever could have thought it would be. No, definitely, Colin. Do you think? Uh, how do you think this game six is going to play out? Um, tough call. Like I said, it's been sort of two different stories. You know, from the first part of the series till now. Um, you know, maybe the, you know, the, the Bruins guy in me, but I think that we've been waiting these past few games for the top two lines to break out. And it just seems like 
they're going to find their way. And, you know, I think it's going to be in, in game six. And I think if they get a couple goals in, we've seen what this offense can do. Even in Toronto, I think they can really put the game away. So I think it's going to be Bruins in six. But, you know, like I said, I've said all along, the Toronto team is better than a lot of people are giving them credit for. They match up well against this Bruins team. And, you know, it's a cop-out, but I would not be surprised to see it go seven and, and have it be a close game that could go either way in game seven. But I well, said six games gonna... from the start. I'm going I'm to stick with six games. So. I was going to say, we're going to hold you to your to your prediction. Um, I think I said five, so I'm obviously already out of the running there for a prediction. But um, I, I got to side with you. I think we were uh, fortunate to have that embarrassment of riches and all the scoring in games one and two. Um, and I think that was where I think, I think the Bruins probably got a little too confident coming out of that of saying like, okay, you know, yes, we need to be ready for the next game up, but we're going to, you know, take a quick stroll through Toronto and be ready for the second round. And I, I, I don't, think that any of them would be willing to admit that, but I wouldn't be surprised if some of the younger players on the team started to say, like, we can coast a little bit here because there's a long playoff run to go. Um, and I don't see that from Toronto. That's my concern is that the younger players are, like like you said, Adam, having that shuffle from Babcock to move players and balance the scoring out is just his way of showing his players, you know, I don't care how you're playing. This is how I'm going to structure the lineup. And if you don't like it, we'll then enjoy golfing in a couple of weeks. You know, Babcock doesn't take any of that less seriously than, than anyone in the league. And so I don't know if you feel differently, Adam, but I, I, the, the jump in, in play for since game, the end of game two was starting to show me that this was going to go seven games after all yeah after game two you know game three was was played really well and my my original prediction was toronto and six just because i'm a romantic and i wanted the least to win at home but you know six or seven was was the minimum you know was what it was going to be um and, and it's get definitely becoming a very different series than when it started you know, we're not uh, we're not being outscored twelve to four anymore after those first two games. You know, so it's um, it, it's it's definitely changed. It's getting closer. It's getting tighter. The series has been changing from when you know Boston outscored Toronto twelve to four in the first two games. You know, it's becoming tighter. It's becoming you know a closer series. It's becoming way more stressful to watch. You know, my someone my sister knows was selling tickets to Game Six, and I was like. Nope. You know, they're even they were they were going under face value. They were just like, I just want someone to have these tickets. I can't use them who wants them. I, I can't watch that game live. I couldn't handle that. You know, at least at home I can turn it off and run away from it. Um <laughs> you know, it's been a it's been a good series. You know, there's been flaws exposed from the Leafs and the Bruins and all that stuff, but you know, I just I just want it to end one way or another, preferably with a Leafs win, but um <laughs> Let's just get rid of this stress off our backs. <laughs> yeah, this this early matchup of what was some pretty strong teams in the East was. Uh, it, it seems like it's a bit much to handle, but we'll see how it goes. We have um, we ha- we have a lot to look forward to for Game Six. I know that we've we've discussed some of the the hotter points of the last week, but. Uh, 
Adam, I want to thank you for joining us. I think we're going to wrap things up for this week, uh, but Stanley Cup of Chowder will be back with a series wrap podcast, and um, maybe we'll have you back to chat one way or another um, sometime soon, definitely in the offseason, and uh, we'll see what uh, Tuesday night holds. Uh, sorry, Monday night. Excuse me. We're going to see them at uh, 7 o'clock game, guys. So, Adam, thank you. And, Colin, once again, thanks for uh, participating. And Stanley Cup of Chowder fans, we'll see you next week. Uh, before we go, Adam, where can uh, where can people keep tabs on you when they want to hear the uh, the wallowing of Toronto fans? <laughs> um, yeah, I write at Pension Plan Puppets. Uh, you can read my stuff under El Seldo. Uh That's also my Twitter, at E-L-S-E-L-D-O. I am not on any other forms of social media because I really – can't be bothered to try and figure out how snapchat or instagram works so i am only on twitter and i am excuse my creative insulting of uh boston but most of it revolves around chowder and um so yeah you can follow me there and i'm trying not to take anything too seriously but i i can't be held responsible mid-game so maybe you can just Well, thanks again, Adam. Uh, It was a pleasure chatting with you, and we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Thanks for having me. It was a really good time. Thanks, Adam.